I am nervously excited about this morning's message. Because <laughs> um, we're going to talk about money. Okay. So I sense that there's nervous excitement on your side as well. Now, I just want to just a little clause. If you're a guest here, we don't talk about money every week uh, as, a, as a message. So don't go, go about saying, yeah, that church just talk about money. But in light of our series of eternity, we thought is, this is an important part of life, really, if you think about it. Most of life uh, and most days in our lives, there's a moment where we consider finances or the use of or the things we need or the process that we need to get the things if you need milk you need to get money to go down to the store to get milk right so it's in our lives the whole time and therefore i love how god in his word has addressed this very topic and making disciples of all nations is not just getting people saved but the second part of that commandment is teach them all things and i'm excited this morning to hopefully teach through the word of God, a few things to, to all of us. And believe me, I was taught this week by the Holy Spirit and the word as I prepared. Uh, on Friday was a difficult day preparing the final essence of this message. And then literally as Eliana picked me up in the car, I was challenged to act immediately on what I just studied myself. And um, I realized that this is how God works. This morning, he's gonna plant a seed in your life with regards to his word and his authority on finances and, and you have to make a choice. Are you gonna think about it in the temporal, the red line, which was the series about eternity, or are you gonna think about it in the life you're after and the eternal? And especially the way we spend our finances. Now I wanna, wanna ask you, have you ever given to church or to anywhere where there was the advancing of the kingdom? If you have, why don't you just say yes and raise your hand. That's awesome. Now turn to one another and say, you are a kingdom investor. Awesome. It's always funny how I just, it's, there's one sentence, but then you, you guys always add a little more. It's just, it should have been done, but there's a little at the end. But we're calling the next two weeks kingdom investors, where we want to encourage you to start understanding that when you take the seed of finance and income which Jesus has entrusted to you and you plant it into the field of your world and this world, you are investing in the kingdom of God. A kingdom without people will just be a piece of property. So, and you can't really call it a kingdom. It's just putting money to property. But investing in the kingdom of God is investing in the lives of other people. It's as Philip has shared this morning, it's thinking about the nations around the world that we still have to reach. My prayer this morning is that you would start seeing that you're giving to this local expression of the church of Christ across the globe is exactly that, investing in the kingdom of God. And therefore, Tuesday night is an important moment. If you wanna understand the intricacies and the detail about how we as a house steward the funding that we receive in reaching the nations and making disciples of all nations, please be reminded that we're gonna gather at the church office for that meeting. And please register online because we need to prepare the catering for it. But this morning, we're gonna look at Paul's instruction to Timothy in his leadership of the church. But we're not only gonna learn from Paul, we're gonna learn from the prophet Isaiah, we're gonna learn from Luke, we're gonna learn from the Acts church, 
And this excites me most as we're gonna learn from the words of Jesus this morning and understanding finances. So if you've got your Bible with you or your phone and it will be up on the screen, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter six and there's three verses that we're gonna study together this morning and then I've got a whole lot of exciting things lined up for us this morning as we study the word of God together. 1 Timothy chapter six verses 17 to 19. Listen carefully. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. I'm gonna read that that, that verse again. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Our prayer this morning is that we would understand your heart for the seed that you entrust to us in this world through our finances and our income and what we receive from you. Father, we wanna take hold, as Paul said to Timothy, of that which is life indeed. And my prayer this morning is, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us. You know the context of everyone here present. You know the context of their finances. You know the context of their world and their reality. And I pray there for Holy Spirit that you would do the preaching of your word in a way that all of our hearts are encouraged to be generous in the working of your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that your word would shine, that we would hear your word speak this morning and not the words of Peter, the words of man, but the word of God and that our hearts would be ready to respond to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Gareth, you can come and help me. I'm gonna pull on some volunteers. And at some point this morning, you are gonna volunteer as well. That's all of you. Are you guys ready for that? Don't mind Gareth. He's just setting up a couple of things on this site. I've asked him to help me because I didn't study numbers. The only numbers I studied is between Leviticus and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. (laughs) But when it comes to fiscal matters, uh, I wouldn't put up my hand first to say that I've got all of that figured out. Um, So therefore, you're gonna hear from Anthony next week, who serves on our eldership team, who is in the financial world. He's also the director of our financial committee. Because I think it's important for you guys to know that when we talk about finances, that we think with faith and we think according to the scriptures and the word of God, but we also apply our heads in how we do it best to build for the future. So I'm excited that Anthony will share with you guys next week as well. But I'm calling my message this morning, Be Rich. That's amazing. That's my encouragement to you. Be rich. <laughs> According to this scripture, and we're gonna do an, a short exegesis on it, that's not exit Jesus, it's exegesis. That's a very theological word. It's just a deeper study of the scripture. We're gonna do a short study of, of these three verses. And it's amazing that, that Paul says, for those who are already rich, tell them to be rich. It feels a little bit redundant, right? 
But we're going to discover this morning that there's a richness or a being rich which exists outside of the material receiving and owning of things on this world. So without holding back, let's do a quick study of the scripture. It starts of speaking to Timothy on who he needs to address, the receivers of this message. And according to Paul, he says, the receivers of this message are those with abundance in the present age. Let's pause there for a minute. A deeper study behind the the context and the language in which that was said, it is those in this world today that are rich. Address this message to them. Now, as I prayed, we all have different contexts. And I'm gonna try and conservatively find a middle road for us this morning on what it means to be rich in this present world. So I've got some numbers. Thank you, Gareth. Let's give him a hand for helping. Can I find a volunteer who likes Coke? One of the youth who likes a Coke? Come, Josh, come help me. Can you time four minutes? Time four minutes. Yeah, time four minutes. And when four minutes are done, you shout four. Just, just leave. The, I'm not saying I'm giving you the coke. No, no, just stand here. I need you here. Just so, so one, two, three, go. Are you timing already? Yeah. Oh wow, that's amazing. He's such quick response to. Just keep timing. So when it hits four, just shout four, and then I'll pause and I'll come back to you. And the coke might be yours. Let's see. So trying, trying to find a, a middle road, and I might be completely off track here, but I'll, I'll, I'll swing it both ways as well to just try and find a generic middle when I'm being conservative here if you earn 8,000 rand a month okay that's 8,000 rand a month maybe it's 4,000 for you maybe it's 16 maybe it's 32 maybe it's 40 maybe it's 80 but let's just work with this sum for a minute if you earn 8,000 rand a month as an individual that puts you in the 5% richest people of the world so when I read that, I'm like, okay, just 8,000 rand a month. Five top richest people in the world, 5%. Isn't that shocking? And then you start thinking about that, like, okay, then there's a lot of abundance in this present age because a lot of people earn way more than just 8,000 rand. But then my heart breaks because then it means that there are billions, 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 and billions of people who really suffer. And it's crazy when I'm gonna take it to the 4,000 how the details change. But you earn in one year, so at 8,000 rand a month, you're on the top 5% richest people in the world, you earn in one year the same amount of money than an individual average worker in Indonesia earns in 23 years. Isn't that a little bit of a perspective? Wait a minute, and this isn't pure thumb-sucking these numbers, there's a website, I got it from, and you can go and check it out. You can put your own numbers in there, globalreachlist.com. It's incredibly insightful. So at 8,000 rand a month, I earn in one year more than the average worker in Indonesia, and he has to work 23 years to just get 8,000 rand a month in his bank account. And I just pause at that, and I'm like, this is heavy. Now I'm gonna wait for this number, because Josh is still timing, but I'm gonna jump down to the 66. 
that salary, with that amount, you can pay the salary for 66 medical doctors in Kazakhstan every month. That is like, again, like, wait a minute. At 8,000 rand a month, you could pay for 66 medical doctors in Kazakhstan to do their work and help the sick. How are we doing on time there? 30 seconds. 30 seconds, sir. Isn't that a little bit of a... Now, when I halve this to 4,000 rand a month, that puts you in the 16%, still maybe in context of the world, rich or maybe pretty okay in this present age. And then what you earn in a year, an individual in Ghana will have to work 54 years to get 4,000 rand a month. There we go. Josh, come join me here. This Coke... If you earn 8,000 rand a month, it took you four minutes to earn. If you live in Ghana and you want to drink a Coke, you're going to have to work for, for seven hours before you get to have a Coke. And for your hard work of 8,000 rand a month, you. you get to have a Coke. But isn't that... He's very happy. Share it with your buddies. Sharing is caring. That's what the message is about this morning. <laughs> Isn't that a little bit mind-blowing to see it like that? Now, we haven't doubled up. We haven't gone to the 16, which puts you in the, the 2.5 richest percentile in the world. We haven't put, you, put it up to just 20, 22 or 30 or 40,000. And again, I don't know your context. And my, my, my heart this morning is that I'm not trying to address every context here, but I'm trying to get to the heart of it. If Paul says to Timothy, address those in the, with abundance in this present age, I think he's speaking to most of us living in the Helderberg today in comparison to the rest of the world. That we have so much. So what is the instruction or the encouragement? The second part of the scripture. First of all, he says, encourage them to not become high-minded. Haughty, pride, prideful in their wealth, in their riches. And I love this. Encourage them, if we read that scripture again, it says, not to be conceited, high-minded, or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. The second encouragement there is that you don't exchange the hope in God, the provider, for the hope and provision. So don't become high-minded and don't rely on riches and rely on the provision. Still, when you are rich in this present age, rely on God. And then the last encouragement before the instructions is saying, God wills that you do enjoy those riches. Isn't that amazing? The Father heart of God is to supply to you richly if you live in a place where you put your trust in Him and not in what He gives you so that you could be generous but at the same time enjoy the riches that He has bestowed upon you. He's not sitting there in heaven and saying, you need to give it all and not enjoy anything on earth. But I truly believe this. When you give generously, your enjoyment on what you do have becomes much more heightened and special. I remember Kevin York, who's one of our leaders in our movement, said that when he started living generously, he just enjoyed his truck a little bit more because he knows that he's given as much as he can to the world out there 
So every time he gets into that truck, he's got a big smile on his face knowing, I can enjoy this. Because that's what Paul is saying. Tell those who have a lot in this present age to know that they can enjoy it, but to not become high-minded and prideful in their riches. And to know that it comes from God and from God alone. And then he gives a clear instruction to those who are rich in this present age. To become abundant in the wealth of doing good. To become generous in distributing willingly, not under compulsion. Isn't that the Bible teaches? Let everyone determine in their hearts that they, what they will give, not under compulsion, but willingly. And then to become willing to commune. Those three instructions we find, they instruct them to do good, that doing good means to become wealthy and abundant in doing good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share that which you have. That's an interesting one. To become willing to commune. The word communes mean that we get to a place where we just share, where I pick up my phone and please don't come steal it afterwards saying that you said I may. But I say this isn't my phone, it belongs to all of us. I need it to do work and everything. But you hear what I'm saying? Can we actually get to that place where what I have, I'll open up my home, my, 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 my fridge, the way of life that I open up that I can actually commune. And here is the instructions. Those who are rich in this present age, let them not focus on that. Let them focus on God and let them get to a place where they grow and they become wealthy in how they give away that which God has given them. It's hugely challenging to me this morning. And then here's the outcome. What happens when you do that? This is beautiful. Eternity perspective. Because when they do that, they'll get a good foundation of treasures stored up for the future. That's why we talk about kingdom investors. Your investment in the kingdom today is the best investment you can make because you are putting out for you in the future an investment that nothing can take. The Bible teaches in Hebrews that God will shake the heavens and the earth and the kingdom of God will remain standing. So you are setting up for you a good foundation of treasure in the future and then here is the key for us this morning. When you become rich and wealthy in doing good, you will grab hold of that which is life indeed. So I'm asking myself, in other words, that which I think is life indeed is that wrong? Haven't I really fully grasped what it is to have life indeed? Because according to this scripture, when I live like this and become rich in doing good to others, I have grabbed hold of life indeed. And my goal this morning is that we would go on the road that leads to life indeed. So let's call it the road to riches. There's a road that we need to go on so that we can get to a place that we can be rich in what God has entrusted to us. Now, before we go on this road, the biggest enemy that cancels our journey of becoming rich as we are encouraged by the scripture is worry, right? If I wanna take something and give it away, the first thing that my natural human response is or the enemy does is saying, mm, just remember there's a tomorrow and the next day, and are you sure that you should be? That's human reasoning. That's a lot of head. But didn't Jesus address this in Matthew 6? We said, do not worry about what you should eat. The scripture will be up on there. We can see it together. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious or worry about your life, 
what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There it is. Life indeed is more than food and clothing. So we, want, we say, okay, Pierre, this is a great challenge. We want to get to this place where we are rich, but I'm a little bit worried about my clothes and my food and these other things. And Jesus steps right in and he says, don't worry. And then he ends that whole conversation by saying, your father in heaven knows that you need these things. And then I'm cut to the heart again. I'm like, God, what am I trusting in? Am I relying on my riches, on the provision, or am I relying on the one who gives it? As we are encouraged out of 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. So let's just put that out there, that the greatest hindrance on the road to riches and becoming rich is, in riches and doing good is to worry. And if you're in a place of worry, take that to Jesus and say, God, I, wanna, I want you to teach me what it is to live in a life of faith so that I can become rich. But I want to move on and take us on this road to riches. I believe, and we can contend this, and it's probably one of the most contended thoughts in the modern world today. Therefore, we as an eldership team have took time to study this topic and write a statement of faith and giving that you can find on our website But I believe that when we put worry aside, our journey on the road to riches starts with tithing. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the heart. I don't want to get into all the practicalities about that and what you believe. And I do understand that in your context, you might have been in places before where there was maybe an abuse of, of this very thing. But it's a principle in the Bible Therefore, we as an eldership studied this together and, and, and put our, our belief on this on a piece of paper for you to read. So go and read that. But so many of us see tithing as the destination. This is where we end. We've reached the cross. But tithing is only the departure. It's not the destination on this road of grabbing hold of that which is life indeed. And Jesus addresses this himself. He speaks to the Pharisees and they were extremely into their world of, of trying to please the religious re- religiosity of their belief that with every piece of mint and cumin that they, that they gathered, they intricately look at it and they took the tithe and they took it to the temple. And Jesus steps in and he says this to them. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Luke 11, verse 42. If we treat tithing as the destination that we need to get in with being generous with what God entrusts us with, we neglect the weightier things of sharing the love of God with this world and to bring justice to this world. And isn't that what the church is called to do? Isn't that what we are called to do, especially now in this community, in this country, is to let the justice of God roll out as it is stored in Amos 5. Let the rivers of righteousness flow. And he's challenging the thinking of the Pharisees and saying, all you think about is just your religious acts of just giving the tithe, but there's a whole lot more that you ought to do. Please make sure that you do that without neglecting the departure point of tithing. 
And my heartbeat for us is that we would start embarking on this journey. And we're going to end this morning by looking at what it means to be rich. But with regards to tithing, there's so much more that Jesus wants us to do. But if we stay stuck at the tithe, we will never get to that. We will just, the tithe is enough. But the Bible says, be rich. Grow in the wealth of doing good in this world. So I want to move on from the tithe and I want to get to the second, I think, milestone in this journey. And that is that of sharing. Because it's clear according to scripture and according to what Jesus said that yes, you should tithe, but then you do that, but then are you sharing your life with each other? Are you getting to a place where that which God has given to you, you, you give your part, but then you start sharing that with one another? Pierre, where do you come up with this concept? Well, other than Jesus teaching this, and we talked about this on Judgment Day, he's gonna ask, have you shared your bread and your clothes and your home with those that needed it? It's also in so many places in the Bible. But Isaiah 58 paints it so beautifully. It says, is this not the fast that I choose? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? The whole Isaiah 58 is about God wanting to redeem Israel. And, and God wanting to say, I want to see your, your light break forth like the noonday. But in order for that to happen, you need to start sharing what you have with others. You need to start addressing injustice. You need to start doing things in this world that brings breakthrough to other people's lives. So if I may, I wanna to turn to India for a little while this morning. Got some rice, the staple of India. I remember when I once visited Madagascar with my very South African thinking about food I asked them what's their favorite food, expecting the name of a, a dish, like we would say braai, right? Or s most of us would say, or seafood. They said rice. And I'm like, no, no, but do you like something with the rice? No, no just, we love rice. And it hit me, that is really, they, that is their staple. And to them, the value of a bowl of rice is incredibly high. Therefore, when they say we love rice, it's just, that is our livelihood, just three bowls of rice every single day. So I wanna to go to a story that I heard of India, and there's a video that explains it much better than I do, and I'll share that link with you maybe at uh, the Kingdom Investors meeting or next week, but in 1910 in Mizoram, it's a state of India in the northeastern site, close to Bangladesh and to Tibet and Laos. It's one of the most backward states of India with one of the most poorest of poor people in the world. And the gospel reached Mizoram in the early 1900s. And in 1910, the church realized that there's an incredible need to share the gospel with the entire state. And then they identified what they called Bible women. They found some women, because the men were mostly away working, or finding work, or trying to get work, and they said, we're gonna entrust the gospel to you, and we want you to go out and share it with women in the communities of the state. But then immediately they realized that they don't have the funds for this. And they came up with a concept called Bufai Tam, which means a handful of rice. 
1910, Mizoram State, Northeast India, the women of a church came together and said, what can we actually do to get enough money to start preaching the gospel to our entire state? Now the heartbeat was just to reach the state, but you're gonna see how God has used this principle. And they started saying, well, let's be very practical. Every time you pour out some rice to cook, three times a day, in the most humble place at home, the corner of a kitchen, take a handful of rice and set it aside. And the next meal, they take rice and they cook their rice for their family. Remember, this is staple food. Something that we might have forgotten exactly what that means. And then they would take a handful of rice and put it aside. And then the next meal. And they'll keep going, one hand for us to eat, one hand to share. And when this thing is filled up, they would go to their local church and they would pour it in these massive containers. And then the local church started selling the rice for an income so that they can start sustaining the work of the Bible woman that they wanted to send into their state. Isn't that an amazing concept? The very thing that is essential to life, their food, they started sharing so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could advance. Now back to the numbers this morning. In 1910, through Bufai Tum, they managed to raise $1.5. That's 80 Indian rupees. Because 1910, I don't know how that would have related today with inflation and everything else. Not a lot of money, right? A hundred years later, in 2010, are you guys ready for this? One church in the Mizoram state, through the handful of rice, the Bufai Tum, exercise raised 1.4 million US dollars by simply doing that taking the essential daily food and saying I'm going to share this with the kingdom and because of that and their understanding that their life and what they receive from God is from him and they're saying God we have a desire to be generous and share our lives in the year of 2014 they've managed to give 13 million US dollars in total of everything that they earned that year. Not just rice, but the people started bringing wood and vegetables and making clothes. And when they do that, that's being sold. And 13 million US dollars for one of the poorest states in India in one year, one church gathered that amount of money. And they support 1,800 missionaries annually with the income that they make. Isn't that amazing? Something as simple as doing this. Just taking rice and saying, God, every time I eat, I'm gonna be grateful to you and I'm gonna put something aside for the work of your kingdom. This is the motto that they live by. Listen to this. As long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. And then I look at that and I look at the scripture that says we need to be rich in good works. And I think about my life here in the context that God has placed me. Again, let's contextualize to our world. And I'm saying, God, am I living with that heartbeat that as long as I've got something to eat, I've got something to give? Do I fully trust in the Father who knows that I need these things according to the words of Jesus? Or do I rather rely 
on the riches of this world. Isn't that challenging to our hearts? The women of India spearheading a revolution that's changing the world through world missions today. So let's contextualize it to us. What can happen if 100 families in this church decide to live somewhat in this principle? That we, that we say, okay, Pierre, we want to be mindful of our, of our eating and in such a way that we start giving the, the value of that eating to the purposes of God's kingdom. And again, I'm working very conservative to try and find a middle road. So, but let's say 100 families of three or four people decide they want to do this. They want to buffet some and start living like these people. If you take one bri away a month, and again, I'm working conservatively, that equals 250 rand for a bri. Again, that's conservative. Some brides are much more expensive, right? Depending on the meat you want. But I'm, I'm really, I'm making this attainable for us. So let's, one, one less bri a month, and we say we take the value of one takeaway a month. The other day, I was asked by someone to order a Steers burger, and it cost 80 rand for the Steers burger. I don't eat a lot of Steers burgers, but I was shocked at how expensive it's become. It was the King Steer, but still, it's a lot of money. So one takeaway, estimate 250 rand conservatively. And then you go for the Monday night special at Cape Town Fish Market at uh, the sanctuary. And you have a dinner out. And you say, you know what? One dinner out, 400 rand, very conservative, right? In what the prices of food are in restaurants these days. And you say, okay, we're a family of four. Uh, The adults like their coffee. They each drink 15 to 20 coffees a month, and then there's the kids who also can't have coffee, but there's the hot chocolates or the Cokes. So let's just say 20 of those drinks at an estimate value of 25 rand a drink equals 500 rand. That is 1,400 rand a month that you could decide, like the, the parcel of rice that you're going to put aside for the purposes of God. Then I say, okay, we, we're trying to be conservative here, but let's be a little bit generous. Let's just add another 100 rand. You say you're going to do all of that and you'll put 100 rand to the mix. If 100 families just do that, we can give 150,000 rand a month and we can share food with this community. When I started doing these sums, I started dreaming about a food bank. Imagine we as a church have a food bank where the hungry can come and we can bless them with food by just saying, one less bride. One less restaurant, one less takeaway. I'm happy with Nescafe at home because I get to share my rice in the kingdom of God. Now, this is very conservative. Let's say we become generous, 100 families, and say, okay, Pierre, but we want to do more. We want to give 20% over and above of our monthly grocery expenditure away. Now, here's the key. Immediately, you think you need to blow out your budget to do that. So if you're spending 5,000 rand a month as a family on on groceries, what I'm not saying is to add another 1,200 rand. I'm saying trust God because your Father in heaven knows that you need this and say, God, we're gonna take 1,200 rand from our 5,000 rand monthly grocery budget, 20%, and we're gonna add this. This adds another 1,200 rand a month 
and that number goes up to 270,000 rand a month that this community could do in sharing food with the hungry. And you know what? There aren't only 100 families here. This church represents 200 families. So let's double that up. And imagine we applied this principle. We would be able to give away millions to the hungry, to the work of the kingdom of God, by simply applying the handful of rice principle in our context. Do you guys think this is possible? Another way to explain it, you each got a bag of rice. Just hold on to it, don't shake it. Just keep it up. The idea is not for you to leave this bag of rice here, to take it home as a, and put it in your grocery, your grocery cupboard and see that as a reminder of what we talked about today. So let's just be quiet for a minute. Shh, no rice shaking. It's quiet down. Uncle Joe, just quickly shake your rice bag. Did everyone hear that? The people in the back, did you hear that? Okay, all done. Now what I want to do is I want this section of the church on the count of three to then give it one massive shaking. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, stop. Now I just want this block until that middle line to do it apart from you guys. Are you guys ready? Just this front block on my right. One, two, three. Shake. Okay, stop. The guys in the back of the room there, just that block. One, two, three. Shake. Okay. Now what I'm going to do is when I go three, you guys shake. I'm going to put my hands up. You guys join them when I do this. And then I'm going to put it up. And when the third time I drop my hand, I want all of us to be shaking the rice back. So guys, ready? Just them. And I'll signal you and I'll signal you guys. One, two, three. Two, three. Back. Well done. You guys are all part of the music team going forward, playing the shaker. But isn't that an incredible sound of what happened when we come together like this and say, we're going to take what we have and put it together and share it with the world. Then the, the sound of the church becomes louder to the world outside there. The Bible teaches, and Jesus says, you, they will know that you are my disciples not by what you say as much, but the way you love one another. We get stuck at the tithes, but Jesus says there's the love of God to share in justice. And if we start sharing our life with one another, we start making a noise that the world can see and say, those Christians are amazing because they live in a way that is so necessary and essential in today's age and time. And it brings me to my next point. After we said, yes, tithing, and we said, you know what, we're just going to share what we have, there's a next step in this road to becoming rich, and that is to redeem what is in excess to benefit the community. Excess is an order of the day in the Western world. And I'll give you some shocking numbers in a minute. But if we get to live like the Acts Church did, and we talked about this a lot this year, but read with me in Acts chapter 4. Now the full number, every single one in the church, they were all shaking their eyes backs together of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Sheesh. 
Let's continue. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, sold their second properties or their third or maybe their primary property and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and land and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to reach as any had need. Imagine what our food bank would look like if we started living like this and sharing our bread with the hungry. Imagine the missions we could send across the world, the missionaries we could support. And, and here's something that I want to celebrate this morning is we support a lot of missionaries around the world and especially into Europe as a house by your giving. So what would it look like if we have enough in the storehouse because we sell what is excess and we bring it? And there's a principle that's taught here and maybe a challenging one. They brought it to the leaders of the church. And then the responsibility for the leaders is to distribute it in the right way, in the right manner. And you might have mistrust in leadership because of various reasons. But that's why we create moments like this and Tuesday night for you to come and hear how the leaders of this house steward that which you bring. We want you to know that you're putting it into the kingdom of God and we have a responsibility to steward it in a way that advances the kingdom of God. But in the UK alone, and this is shocking, when we talk about excess, Now, let me do the pound sign. I don't buy in pounds, so I don't know what it looks like. Is that wrong? That's totally wrong. It's the other way around. I told you, I studied numbers in the Old Testament. I didn't study numbers. It's a pound sign for the purposes of this morning. Okay. Last year, and this is a study by one of the leading banks in the UK, adults in the UK received 2.6 billion pounds of unwanted Christmas gifts during Christmas. Now if you talk about excess, so thank you very much, put it in a cupboard, re-gift it later. There we go. I never look at the pound exchange rate, it's just depressing. But isn't that a shocking number? That is, here we go, a massive R, that's easier. 48 billion rands of unwanted Christmas gifts in the UK last year. You're receiving a gift, you're like, thank you very much. You take it and it becomes an excess in the house. Now to top that, over and above that, 4.2 million Christmas dinners go to waste in the UK on Christmas Day. Remember, we're talking about excess. That equates to this. 26, no, 263,000 turkeys, 7.5 million mince pies, 40,000 slices of Christmas pudding. This one is funny. 17.2 million Brussels sprouts. They can keep that. <laughs> 11.9 million carrots and 11.3 million roast potatoes. Going to waste. So if we say, God, we want to be on this journey where we move from here, that's why I'm not writing because you can't read this, to sharing, to saying we redeem the excess like the church did in Acts. And we say, whatever we have extra, 
we'll push aside and we'll use it for the purposes of God's kingdom, then we are clearly on the road to becoming rich and wealthy in good works in this world. Isn't that amazing? And it brings me to my last point and the last number for this morning. God's heartbeat is that we would be abundant in the wealth of doing good. That we get to that place of being rich and abundantly it just flows out of us. And here's a principle that I want to teach you this morning. If I take my seed, let's pretend this is seed for a minute, as a sower, and there's a field that God has called me to sow my seed into. What does it benefit the field? The the only benefit of the field is the nutritional value and the growth that it experienced and being used. But when the harvest comes, the one who benefits from the sowing of the seed is the sower. And just like that, Jesus has sown all of us into the field of this world so that he can get the glory according to what we learned this morning and what Philippa shared. The celebration of heaven when souls are being saved in the field of this world through Jesus sowing us. And each one of us has a responsibility to take the seeds that he has given us and to sow it into our fields and then we get the joy of the harvest when we share the gospel with the world and share the good news. The benefit for them, because we're talking about people's souls, is that they get to join us in heaven celebrating Jesus in the end. But here's the key that I hope that you can see this morning in what it is to grab hold of that which is life indeed. If you walk on this journey to becoming rich in good works, you will grab hold of that which is life indeed. And here's the key. Then generosity is for you to grab hold of that which is life indeed. So many times we think generosity is only for the receiver. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If we can get to a place where we become rich in whatever we share with the world, we will be the benefactors and the enjoyers of our generosity in this life. And it brings me to my final two numbers. A number two and a hundred. And I'm gonna read a quick story that Jesus told in the gospel according to Mark. Sitting across from the temple treasury, Jesus watched the crowd drop money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums of money. And the poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, I assure you, the poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she possessed, all she had to live on. She took her livelihood and she said, I'm gonna drop this in the kingdom of God because I have a heavenly father who knows what I need. And that pulls a full circle around all of us. Some of us might be in a situation where we are the widow with the two coins. Some of us might be in a situation where we have the excess. But the heart of the father this morning as we start putting our trust in him. And from that position of security, knowing that he knows what we need, we say, God, we'll give you everything, even if it's two coins. We wanna give you 100%. And the woman with two coins gave more than all the rich people together. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
these things are simply important to you, Father, because you don't want us to serve any other idols in our life. Lord Jesus, you, you made it clear that we can't serve you and the idol of mammon and money in this world, Father. And you've given us all the tools and all the understanding and the explanations of how we can embark on a journey to only and wholeheartedly and fully serve you with the seeds that you entrusted to us. Lord, we want to look at the life of that widow who left Matthew 6 completely and not worrying about what she would wear and put on, but knowing that there's a heavenly father who knows what she needs. Lord, we want to be a house that starts taking care of one another because we bring our excess and we redeem it for the purposes of your kingdom. We want to be a church who's known with sharing our food with the hungry and the world out there that needs to see not only the proclamation but the demonstration of the gospel. Father, and ultimately our hearts is to be as rich as this widow with the two coins, to be as rich as she is by giving you everything because our ownership of that on earth is temporal and we can invest in a future which is glorious and for the glory of God into the eternal. So I pray this morning that you will work in our hearts and that we would truly become kingdom investors. And I have an invitation this morning. Now I don't want you to just stand up out of emotion, but I wanna lead us in a prayer of consecration where we consecrate our finances to God again. And if you wanna join me in that prayer, why don't you stand up and pray with me? pray together Lord Jesus you are Lord of our lives Father you know what we need and we want to live in faith we confess the times that we had fear and worry and we pray for a steadfast spirit which drives out all that fear This morning, Lord Jesus, we want to give you our all. Teach us to live according to these principles so that we can be rich in the outworking of your kingdom. I entrust my livelihood to you. I consecrate the way I spend my money And I set it apart. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort and guide me in how I apply that. And the people of God say, Amen.